You are listening to a podcast produced by the New Zealand Centre for Political Research. Follow this and our other podcasts on nzcpr.com. Welcome to our podcast for the 10th of July 2023, presented by Dr. Muriel Newman. When the 1968 Royal Commission on the Electoral System recommended the introduction of MMP voting, they warned that the Maori seats should be abolished to avoid overrepresentation in Parliament. That's exactly what we have today. In a bizarre twist of fate, the seats that at one time preserved equality are now undermining it. The truth is, it's only a radical minority who are focused on tribalism, power and control. It is they who have been empowered and are now being enriched by labour at the expense of everyone else. So what can be done to remove this threat to New Zealand? Here's Muriel Newman. The Labour government has changed key constitutional conventions without any mandate from voters. When they took office in 2017, equality of citizenship and the rule of law were constitutional cornerstones of our democracy. Now five and a half years later, New Zealand is no longer a society of equals. Labour has elevated the leaders of multi-million dollar iwi business corporations into a privileged ruling class. On the basis of their race, they have been given the power to influence government decision-making. As a result, a so-called Maori worldview is now being imposed onto society. The effects are everywhere. Maori has replaced English in the name of our country, government departments, streets and towns, and now even road signs. Throughout the workforce, public servants are being forced to swear allegiance to the Treaty of Waitangi, undertake cultural competency training, learn te reo, and even stay overnight on marae. Similar requirements are also being imposed on the private sector and companies that rely on government registration or funding. A Labour Party private member's bill The company's Directors' Duties Amendment Bill even proposed that private companies should honour the treaty. Nowhere can the takeover be seen more clearly than in health. An equity justice score has now been introduced to prioritise Maori patients over others in greater clinical need. As the Herald reports, some surgeons said the new scoring tool was medically indefensible. They said patients should be prioritised on how sick they were, how urgently they needed treatment, and how long they had been waiting for it, not on their ethnicity. Surgeons were said to be disgusted by the new ranking system. It's ethically challenging to treat anyone based on race. It's their medical condition that must establish the urgency of their treatment. The public outcry following the revelation that an apartheid health system has been imposed onto our country sent Labour's PR machine into overdrive. They released a flood of reports and announcements to distract the media and the public away from their blatantly racist health policy. To achieve Maori control of the health system, the district health boards were abolished 
and replaced with a centralised system jointly controlled by a Maori health authority. The Paiora legislation not only prioritises Maori for healthcare, it also embeds Maori influence over the health minister. To achieve this, a permanent Maori advisory committee of eight members has been established with such authority that any advice given to the minister that's not accepted must be publicly notified. In addition, the minister must not only have regard to the advice of the Maori Health Authority when determining a health strategy, but iwi Maori partnership boards have also been established around the country to influence health delivery. The legislation requires both Health New Zealand and the Maori Health Authority to have expertise in the Treaty, Tikanga and Matarangi Maori. Both bodies must jointly develop and implement a New Zealand health plan, but the Maori Health Authority has the power of veto. Under Labour's race-based health system, New Zealanders are no longer equal. It's the same story with the control of water. Despite widespread public opposition, Labour is pushing ahead with three waters. Iwi leaders see this as a stepping stone towards gaining ownership of New Zealand's fresh water. The sheer insanity of three waters is becoming more evident by the day. The establishment expenditure is already $1 billion over budget. And the risks of the highly leveraged funding model were made clear from the news that the UK's Thames Water, which uses the same funding model as Three Waters, is facing a financial crisis and is literally drowning in debt. Three Waters is a financial disaster waiting to happen. If it's not reversed by the incoming government, it will create a major financial crisis for New Zealand in the future. The Water Services Entities Amendment Bill is now in front of a select committee. That bill increases the number of water entities from 4 to 10 and sets an establishment date of 1 July 2024 for the first water entity for Auckland and Northland. While the bill introduces community priority statements to appease concerns that Three Waters delivers control of water to Māori, this is no more than window dressing. Under Three Waters, a Māori advisory board controls the water regulator. Regional co-governance boards give Māori the right of veto. Timana OTY statements give local Māori the power to dictate demands to the boards running water services. But not content with controlling health and water, the tribal takeover has also engulfed education and the tertiary sector, as this week's NZCPR guest commentator, Auckland University's Professor Elizabeth Rata, explains, quote, Decolonising and indigenising all government institutions, including the education system and universities, are retribalism strategies. Justified by retribalization politics, with the 1840 Treaty of Waitangi used as the mandate, the aim is to insert traditional ways of being, thinking and doing into all areas of the university. The commitment to a revisionist historical treaty 
can be found in university strategic plans. Curriculum initiatives, along with research ethics and funding, are also required to demonstrate a treaty commitment. There is some dissent, but accusations of racism and the response to those who've spoken publicly have silenced opposition. End quote. And that's the problem in a nutshell. Whenever anyone speaks out against the iwi takeover, they're accused of racism. That's why so few speak out. Furthermore, in the absence of warning voices, many New Zealanders are still largely unaware of the serious danger to our future that totalitarian tribal rule represents. The mainstream media must bear some responsibility for this travesty. To be eligible for a share of Labour's $55 million public interest journalism fund, the media were required to support the government's narrative that the treaty is a partnership. That's why they don't speak out against co-governance and have largely shied away from reporting the tribal coup. So what is the backstory? How have we reached this situation? The cause can be traced back to the imbalance that's been created in Parliament by the reserved Māori seats. These seats were established in 1867 as a temporary measure to give parliamentary representation to Māori men who, along with other men who failed the property ownership requirement of the day, had been denied the right to vote. Although all men gained full voting rights in 1879, and women in 1893, the reserved Maori seats were retained. When the 1968 Royal Commission on the Electoral System recommended the introduction of MMP voting, they warned that the Maori seats should be abolished to avoid over-representation of Maori in Parliament. That's exactly what we have today. In a representative democracy, maintaining proportionality is crucial. If the electoral system results in an overrepresentation of one group acting in its own self-interest, then the democratic representation of others is diminished and the system itself becomes discriminatory. In a bizarre twist of fate, the seats that at one time preserved equality are now undermining it. In 2017, the Labour Party won all seven Maori seats. In addition, two Māori MPs were elected in general seats and four came in on the list. Altogether, 13 of Labour's 46 MPs were Māori and at 28%, they made up the largest Māori caucus in the history of the New Zealand Parliament. It was during that three-year term that the foundations were laid for iwi control. In collaboration with iwi leaders, the Office for Māori Crown Relations was established in 2018 to drive the process of change throughout the public and private sectors, and Hipuapua was developed as a secret blueprint to achieve tribal control of New Zealand by 2040. The 2020 election delivered Labour majority rule and 15 Māori MPs. Six were elected in the Māori seats, six in general seats, and three on the party list, making up 23% of Labour's 65-strong parliamentary team 
and 25% of Jacinda Ardern's cabinet, radical Māori were overrepresented at the highest levels of government. By fast-tracking a radical separatist agenda, these MPs have had a disproportionate and dangerous influence on the running of the country. Ironically, while a small cabal of iwi leaders appointed by Labour claim to be acting in the best interests of Māori, they do not represent all Māori. Many Māori are as horrified as the rest of us at their power grab, but they too are pressured to remain silent. In fact, over the years, the oppressive nature of tribal influence has driven many Māori to leave New Zealand for Australia. A study carried out by Tipuni Kokiri in 2007 found that one in six Māori were living in Australia, with many having moved there to escape tribalism. They expressed an overwhelming sense of relief of being free from Māori culture, of being able to get away from the rigid beliefs of their elders, of getting away from tikanga Māori and whānau dynamics and the pressures associated with being whānau. The majority of Māori are just like every other New Zealander. They live in the real world and have real-world concerns about good schooling, good jobs, a decent house and aspirations for a better future. The former Māori Party co-leader Marama Fox revealed as much when she said, quote, 90% of our whānau don't live in that kaupapa Māori environment because they live in the mainstream society we all grew up in. End quote. And before he became a government minister, Labour MP Willie Jackson criticised what he described as elitist Māori leaders. He said 21 years after the first treaty settlement, close to 90% of the Māori population have yet to see any benefits from the treaty settlement process. The truth is, it's only a radical minority who are focused on tribalism, power and control. It's they who've been empowered and are now being enriched by Labour to impose their separatist demands onto the country. So what can be done to remove this threat to New Zealand's well-being? There is only one answer. The Maori seat power base of these radical supremacists has to be abolished. If they are not abolished, New Zealand will never be free from their divisive self-interest. What's worse is that instead of Labour's newest review of our electoral system recommending that the Māori seats be abolished, they want them entrenched to make it harder to remove them. The Māori seats are not required to guarantee Māori representation in Parliament. The seats are a privilege that have been captured by radicals intent on elevating their own self-interest above all others. It's these radical separatists that are fueling hatred and undermining the equal rights enshrined in Section 19.1 of our New Zealand Bill of Rights that guarantees all New Zealanders freedom from discrimination based on race. That's it for this week. Don't forget to visit www.nzcpr.com if you'd like to register for our free newsletter. Take part in our poll or access a treasure chest of valuable information. See you soon. Bye. This podcast has been brought to you by NZCPR Media.